looking up a bunch of stuff on just just worship, not not music worship, but just worship in scripture and the way it's described and portrayed and and what we're commanded to do. And I can't think of nothing better than a song to talk about. Here I am to worship right before we get the word of God. You know what I'm saying? Because it's more than just the singing of oh, here I am to worship. It's also going to be, well, I'm willing to receive the word and then I'm willing to go outside and act on the word. And that's some of our greatest form of worship. Well, I'm willing to, to go back to the house and, uh, and act on, on what I just, uh, heard and, and said and, and whatnot. So with that, I'm also going to give you a disclaimer and you can amen this. You should. Uh, we're only going to make it through verse 24. So I'd already sent the bulletin info out to go through 30. I'd already titled the sermon, Some Friends. So if you've got a pen, you can erase the S and you can put some friend because we only going to make it through Paul and Timothy and their connection. And that's it. And I don't know if that means the Lord is going to give us a whole week on uh, the other guy uh, that's a little sketchy on, on pronunciation. So you notice how I just with over overdrew his name just now or, you know, what the plan is. But I do know that. uh we only gonna make it through through Timothy today as we look at that. So, but then it got me thinking as I was sitting over there and, and worshiping. I looked up at the the title and Charlene was reading, and I said we got to take the S off. So then I'm thinking like some friend depends on how you say it, right? Like I can say, man, Jeremiah is he's some friend, or I could I could look over at Cliff and be like some friend. <laughs> you notice the difference though? How, how quick it? <laughs> I love you, brother. How quick it changes though is how we say it. So like, you gotta ask yourself, like, when we talk about some friend, how would somebody say it if they're describing us? You know, I, I was thinking about Paul in the, this whole letter and it brought me to, to two quotes and I couldn't pick between the two. So, so I'm gonna share one, I'm gonna share both. Oh, I was supposed to share one, I'm gonna share both. Oh. So it says this, the great missionary uh, to India, Stanley Jones. I don't know if you guys study any missionaries and, and that kind of stuff. I think some of their testimony is just amazing. They got, got great books about it. But he said this. When I had met Christ, it was as though I had swallowed sh- sunshine. When I met Christ, it was as if I had swallowed sunshine. And, you know, I can't think of nothing cooler than, than everything about that. When we're thinking about like Paul writing this letter about joy, right? He's like, that means every time he opened his mouth, like light just come out. Right? That joy, that, that, that fulfilling thing. C.S. Lewis, probably some of you more familiar with at least. He was asked to speak about the same joy when he he experienced meeting Christ. And he said, joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is the serious business of heaven. And it was when I read that that I kind of transitioned as I noticed where where Paul's been and where he's going and, and, and where he's at. And I said, you know, it might be the serious business of heaven, but I think joy is seriously challenged on earth. When we let earth get in the way and we let things of earth get in the way. Joy becomes a challenge more than a, a, an automatic, right? You know, and if we could be quite honest, you know, I told you about the little GIF or meme or whatever the heck those things are called that I read last week about, you know, the Grinch never hated Christmas. He just hated people. You know, then I thought, I said, well, the challenge for joy normally comes from other people. Right? Sometimes we are the people, but, but for ourselves, but, but generally the, the, the challenge and the lack of joy comes from, comes from people. And as you look back at Paul at chapter one, when he started this thing, this apostle who's in prison, he spoke about some people. And here's what he described them as. This is kind of like a review as we go through. He said, there's this group of people going around who's stirring up trouble and making my chains even worse. It's one thing to already be in a bad situation, isn't it? 
But it's another thing when people outside and he's writing to the church. So let's just go ahead and cut through the chase. He ain't talking about unbelievers. He's talking about people that are supposed to be part of his brotherhood. And he's saying some friend about them. Because here's a golden opportunity where they can be expanding this thing even more. And he's grateful that the gospel's expanded. Remember, it's kind of a, a weird phrase that he's at. But he says, and really, they're just stirring up trouble because it's all about selfishness and it's all about what they can do. And they're making the world's opinion of myself and, and what I've been doing even worse. But when it gets to this stage, Charlene just read, the right kind of people can bring some joy to your life. And that's where he's at. He said the right people can increase your joy. The right people can enhance your joy. Why? Because there's going to be the right kind of people that ease our burdens and they take some of the grind out of life. And those are the people that matter most. Maybe a better way of proving this is, is this way right here. So if, you, if you've got a pen and paper, you can write down your answers. You're going to take a test this morning. If not, you just do it in your head. If you want to have a lot of fun with it, maybe we can shout out some answers, right? So here's number one. Number one for your test, right? I think just like five or six questions. Name the five wealthiest people in the world. Somebody said Bezos. He's number two. $202 billion, by the way. Somebody said Trump. Trump's not even on the list. Bill Gates is number four at $137 billion. Elon Musk, number one, $2278 billion. Oh, wow, she's religious. Everybody give her a spiritual round of applause. <laughs> this ain't a trick question. This is real business. Who's the richest people in the world? You've got three out of five. By the way, you got three out of ten, technically. I'm only asking for the top five. Joel Olstein, no. <laughs> they found $39,000 in that man's wallet the other day. That's a whole separate discussion. How about uh, Bernard Annault? Y'all know him? Yeah, me neither. He's number three. I don't have a clue. How about Larry Page? You guys don't know the third and the fourth and the fifth richest man in the world. Me neither. Let's get back to some real life stuff then. We don't know them. How about the last five Heisman Trophy winners? Joe Burrow is in there. I'm going to get to some questions for you, too. I didn't know none of these. Well, I knew this one. Sorry. I didn't know the money one. I had to Google it. Actually, my kids Googled it. Who we got? Joe Burrow. He's number 2019, so he wasn't even last year. Way to skip over somebody, man. Who? Mayfield. He's number four. Way to skip over two people. I mean, these guys, only they only sought their whole life to earn this award as a ball player. The guy from last night. I didn't count him. I kept it fair because I figured a lot of people hadn't looked. How about Devontae Smith last year? We don't even remember a guy from last year. You mean to tell me the guy who's the greatest? Did you get it? Good job. But you mean to tell me, I'm serious. You mean to tell me the guy who was the greatest ball player on the field last year? 365 days. You forgot his name? Huh. Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson. Man, Lamar Jackson faded fast. None of you guys even thought of him. How about People Magazine's most beautiful person of the year? See, now I'm appealing to the other crowd. <laughs> the Rock, no. <laughs> Unless he was, well, I already got this year's on here too. Who? No. 
No, but I like how all y'all. Notice, notice, I gotta point this out. Notice how only the women are shouting out men's names. And there ain't a man in this room dumb enough to shout out a name. We train them right in the upper room, baby. <laughs> to keep people out of trouble. How about Chrissy Teigen? Don't even know who that is. Me neither. How about Kate Hudson? And her daughter Rainey? That's weird. How about Jennifer Gardner? How about Pink? How about Julia Roberts? Sorry, I may have been biased on 2018's pink. How about American Music Award? Are we go with music? I got awards all day. What you want? I get, if you can guess three pe- three per, three years, one person won this award. So see if you can guess her. All right. Taylor Swift, you got that one. Bruno Mars, Ariana Grande, One Direction, and BTS were the others. Nobel Peace Prizes? I don't have a clue. BTS is a tire store to me, so I was really blown away that they won an award, but it's different BTS. All right. Y'all don't seem to be doing too good on this test. All right. You failed. You failed. All right. All right, now let me ask you to do this test. I'm not even doing Nobel Peace Prize winners. I'm not even doing Pulitzer Peace Prize winners. You guys, have, you, you guys have disappointed. These are the best people at what they do, and you didn't know their names? All right, next question. I think you'll do better on this test. Give me five people who've helped you in the last year. All oh, them mamas. Sisters, who? Church family. <laughs> Amen. Amen. How about a teacher who helped you along your journey? Can you guys think back? Don't name them out. Can you guys think back and name at least five of your teachers while you're in school? I can still do that too, which kind of blows my mind because I wasn't a very good school person. Right? Or I didn't enjoy school. I did all right to get through, but wasn't. How about um? How about five? Well, five people who taught you something worthwhile. How about uh, five people you enjoy spending time with? Can you name five people you want to spend time with? How about five people you'd answer the phone for? <laughs> Can you think of at least five people they not that they texted you, they actually called you, and you would answer the phone for them? Huh? How about five people who've inspired you with their story or their testimony? Right? How about five people you enjoy actually hanging out with? How about five people that's ever made you laugh? You guys doing better on this test than the last test? You don't want to know why? I read this, this quote and I thought it was great. And we're talking about people who won the most trophies, wealthy, beauty, whatever it is. I had a Miss America one that my wife vetoed because she said nobody watches that thing anymore. I was just trying to appeal to all crowds, right? And, and, and here's what the here's what the quote quote says. We forget yesterday's headliners, but those people that have inspired our life we never forget. Isn't that true? Isn't that right? That's why we failed the first test, but did great on the second. The point is, the people that matter to us are not the ones with the most trophies, the most wealth, the most beauty. The people that matter most to us are those that have impacted our life, that have cared for us. That we know that we can call, that we know that we can reach out to, right? And it's easy for, for us to forget that somebody like Paul, you know, it, once we start doing it, we're like, oh man, I need that person. I, some of the people you just thought of, you're like, I, I, I need that. Like, I, I, man, I forgot about that guy. I need to, you know, we, we realize that 
But it's easy for us to get to stages like this in scripture and we forget like like a guy like Paul needs friends too. You know what I'm saying? Like 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 he he needs them and, and he had some. And and I was going through and listening. I was like, there was Luke, you know, there was there was Barnabas, there was Silas, there was Aquila and Priscilla. These were all Paul's friends. But here Paul's writing this letter to a church and, and he only has two names for them, right in the middle of this letter. Because I want to tell you guys about Timothy and Epaphroditus. And, you know, Timothy, some of us are familiar with because he's a young pastor. He's got some other letters in there. Epaphroditus, maybe we're a little sketchy on. Maybe we'll spend next week on him. I don't know. But Paul's saying both of these guys are not only my friends, they're my servants. And they brought enormous joy to my life while I've gone through some difficult stages. Right? He knew the value of having true friends that stick with him during difficult times. And I can't think, you know, somebody said, are you going to do a... A big old end of the year Christmas kind of. No, I don't think I'm going to. I think I'm going to stay with Philippians because that's where the Lord's leading me. But I can't think of a better time of the year than to remember some close friends. Am I right? Isn't it funny how like we don't have to divert to follow our own plan. Like we can just stay on God's plan and he'll line some stuff up where it matches with what we're going through. I mean, I think that's phenomenal sometimes when the Lord does that. Right. So Paul said there's been some people that's helped me with my burdens and have brought me great, great joy. And, and yeah, his his theme through the book is, has been the same. Humility, lowness of mind, serving one another, loving one another, caring for one another. And he even gave us two examples that we spent a couple weeks on. One, he said, the greatest example of the stuff, Jesus Christ. Obviously, right? Then he even said, uh, part of last week, he said, I myself am willing to pour my life out in the sacrifice of the faith. Like, I'm one of these examples. And I think a lot of us will read this stuff and we'll be like, man, I, I can't be like Jesus. He's, he's the best at everything. He's great, right? That's so far-fetched. I don't even know if I can be like Paul. Paul was a man, but Paul was great, man. He had it. And I think maybe Paul kind of knew we'd read this years later. Maybe even the people of uh, Philippi would, would read it and have that thought. And he goes, here, here's some people you can actually be like. Here's Timothy. And, and here's others. So let's look at Timothy here. Verse 19. Just read. But I trust... In the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I come to know about your state. For I have no one like minded who will sincerely care for your state. There's a lot of people out there that are seeking their own stuff and not the things of Jesus Christ. But, you know, Timothy's got proven character. He's a son with his father talking about the relationship that he has. with him. No, he's not his biological son. It's spiritual son. He served with me in the gospel. He's, he's, he's a comrade. He's a soldier with me. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as I soon, if I don't get to go myself. But I trust that the Lord will provide this stuff. Look at some key phrases he says at the beginning here. One, he says, but I trust in the Lord. Paul's showing his reliance upon the Lord this whole thing. He says, this is my plan. But if it don't go the way I want it to go, I just want to make sure it goes the way God wants it to go. Can you say that about your plans? Jesus said the same thing in the garden, right? Your will be done. Right? It wasn't about like exactly what he wanted in his earthly body. It was about what the father wanted. And Paul's saying, he goes, I trust in your timing, God. God, I trust in, in your ability. I trust that it's going to happen your way, and I'm okay with whatever your way is. That's a bold prayer, isn't it? Can you pray that with a sincere heart like he's talking about describing Timothy? Can you really say, God, this is what I want? And it's okay to say it this way. This is what I want, God, but I'm okay with what you want. I'm okay with where you're going. He says that I may also be encouraged when I know your state. He's expecting. Remember, he's on house arrest. One of the neat things about house arrest, I guess, is if you had anybody who cared enough about you, they would actually come and visit. So he's saying when this guy comes back, when Timothy comes back, you know, 
he's going to tell me about you guys. And it's going to encourage me. This proves like last week when I was telling you, like some people try to say that the church of Philippi was having this big problem that, that Paul mentioned, you know, with the disunity. I think this proves that it wasn't really this. He's saying, I don't expect any problems from you guys. I'm expecting for, for him when him to come back. It's going to be a good report of good cheer. He's saying, like, I don't have to worry about like a report from the Corinthians when it comes back. And it tells me so and so is messing up and so and so is doing this like I'm expecting I'm encouraged by your state and the report I get back. Then verse 20, who will talking about Paul or talking about Timothy, sorry, who will care for your state, his greater concern for you than for himself. Paul recognizes as they seek this thing that God cared about them in the way of Christ rather than the way of themselves. So let me give you a little bit of background about Timothy. Then I want to jump into four Four attributes, four traits, four characteristics, whatever you want to call them, of a good friend. All right. Timothy, he was he was a protege of Apostle Paul. I think you know that. He was Paul's first convert convert on his first missionary journey. That's kind of cool. Right. So Paul, he goes on his first missionary journey through Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, uh, goes to, to Lystria and then to Derby. And it's probably there that he meets Timothy. He probably did some preaching or teaching or whatever. And Timothy's like, yeah, I want to want to join the kingdom. I want to be a part of that. I want to I want to check this thing out. And from their relationship, we learn from other letters also that he was the son of a Jewish woman. So he's got a religious mama, but then he's got an unbelieving father. I don't know if you guys worry so much about your history, your past, your upbringing, your biology, messing up your requirements. This guy had no requirements in his biology. He had a religious mama who didn't truly believe she was just religious. And he had a completely unbelieving father. The only good thing we do learn later in one of his letters is that his grandma was great. Right? His grandpa provided and, and kept some stuff. And mama gave him some, some roots and all, but, but it wasn't, it wasn't that genuine real relationship thing. Later on, he's going to go, Paul goes on a second missionary journey. He gets back and he sees Timothy and he invites him, Timothy, you want to join the Paul Apostle Evangelistic Association and join with me on, on, on this thing? And he joins and he, and he goes on and they build this, this relationship together and, and, and things go on and, and he matures spiritually and, and, and really, kind of like we say, Rome wasn't built in a day. Well, friendships aren't built in a day. These guys spent time together, right? They, they grew together. They learned together. So here's four qualities of a mature friendship, four qualities of a good friend. And if you are a note taker, here's what I want you to write down. You are not looking for this person. You should want to be this person. You understand that? Because I'm not even going to lie. When I first started, I was like, man, I got a friend that meets that one. I got a friend that meets that one. Who cares? Right. Spiritual growth for me. Right. I should be wanting to strive to be this person. Right. Not thinking of how can I find somebody like that? Not hoping I'll find somebody like that. You should. That's OK. But I think Paul's main thing is here. I need to learn how to be that kind of somebody to somebody else. So here's number one. Number one, a good friend, a mature friend is reliable. Reliable. Timothy is the first person on a two person list. Now, I want you to think, how many friends would you have that you would consider reliable? He's got two. Some reading stuff I did this week said the average person has anywhere from five to eight. And that's it. Reliable friends, friends that you can call on no matter what, friends that you can count on no matter what. I have a feeling that would be a short list. Am I right? Aren't you grateful for those, though? Don't you wish you were on that list of somebody else? That's the goal, right? You might got a lot of Facebook friends, but Facebook friends are different than faithful friends. All right. So as we jump into this thing, he's saying Timothy was faithful to Paul. He was reliable. And look how reliable he was. You got you to do some outside studying for all this stuff this week. 
It was Timothy that went with Paul from Athens to Thessalonica. That's Thessalonians chapter 3. It was, it was uh, Timothy that went with him from Ephesus to Corinth, Corinthians chapter 4. It was him that went with him from Ephesus to Macedonia, Acts 19. And now it's him that's sending him again on an errand to go all the way from Rome to Philippi. You know how far this trip is? Anyone want to take a guess? Rome to Philippi? 800 miles. He ain't got, that's right. He ain't got no sports car. He ain't got no Uber. He ain't got no plane. And he ain't got no train. 800 miles on a donkey. 800 miles on a camel. 800 miles on a, a horse. I don't know. 800 miles by feet. It takes somebody who's reliable to pull that off, does it not? This guy was reliable. He can count on, there's no like, I hope he makes it to you or, or maybe he won't make it to you. It's this guy is going to go. This guy is going to make it there. Verse 22. Something he says about him. He says, this guy served with me in the gospel. Now watch this. This is going to be, this is going to be a, a Christian bubble popper for you church folks, right? Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I can to go with me. Do, do you get what the therefore is there for? You ever, you ever, you ever thought about like anytime there's a therefore, you got to ask what's it there for? It's a good, good spiritual lesson right there. So, I mean, seriously, it is. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul is saying Timothy has been so reliable. And since he is reliable, he's also more valuable. Right? He's valuable because he's reliable. Now, some of you church people are thinking, now, pastor, are you saying that certain people, certain friends are more valuable than others? Yes, I am. Tell me you wouldn't say the same. Huh? You're going to tell me all your friends, all your little church world answer stuff. Everybody's on equal terms. No, sir, I'm not. And neither would Paul. Paul says this guy is proven to be valuable. Therefore, he's reliable. Paul says, like, I want to go myself and I'm going to come if the Lord gets me out of here. And basically, I will be there. But if I can't come, the next best thing for me to do is to send you this guy, Timothy. Look at the progress here. I don't know if you guys caught it when we were or when I was kind of rolling through Timothy's past and making sure we, we knew who he was. How much of an honor he went from Paul's son, you know, spiritually speaking, to Paul's servant. He worked with Paul as he went along. So now he's Paul's substitute. That's progress. That's progress, right? Could you imagine being the guy that Paul says, well, if I can't make it, it's you that has to go. Of all the people he knew, hundreds of people, he lists 27 Christians, by the way, 27 partners in the ministry in one of his other books, I think Romans. 27 names he just goes through. Now, that would probably tell me he knew hundreds, right? He thought enough of 27 and then he thought enough of one to say, this is the guy right here. So you could say this as another free lesson, right? Other than valuable being or the more reliable you are, the more valuable you are. You can say it this way, right? The, the reward. Faithfulness is what will open the door to more fruitfulness. Some of you guys wonder why I ain't got no fruit. It's because you ain't been faithful, right? The more faithful you are, the, the, the more you are open to the door, the more fruitfulness is going to come. And now this is a servant's reward. I don't want to mislead you in any way, right? He's saying that the servant's reward if you're faithful, you're going to get to serve more. So if you don't have a servant's heart, man, this is going to be a really sad reward for you. Right? We know people like this. Let's be honest. You did such a good job cleaning this week. I want you to clean again next week. Right? That dinner was so good. I want you to cook it again next Wednesday. Right? And then we, so you have now, now you got two opportunities, right? You've got one that says, didn't I just serve? Don't I, do I have to do it again? I've already done something. Don't, is there anybody else who's going to volunteer? Get somebody else. 
you don't have a servant attitude, then you don't get a servant's reward. This is a servant's reward, right? The servant would say, yes, awesome. I get to do more. Do you have that attitude? Honestly? Sincerely, that's a word he's going to use here to describe this guy, right? You see serving more as a blessing, not as a curse. That's tough, man. That's tough. I, I realized something this week. Let me, let me share it with you from some of Jesus' parables, right? Talking about this, this same subject, what Jesus shares here. Two, two main parables, Matthew 24, Matthew 25. First one, Matthew 24, obviously. The parable of the two servants, right? And Jesus makes this remark in verse 46 about these guys. He said, blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. What's Jesus saying? Faithfulness leads to more fruitfulness. The more faithful you are, the more fruit you're going to get, right? Then you get to Matthew 25. That's the parable of the talents. Some of you may know. And I'm not talking about, and I know we can apply, you know, we always use some of, especially Jesus' parables to, to mean multiple things. And that's not entirely wrong all the time. But if we just took this parable at face value, we get a whole different lesson at the end here. Because if we were taking it at face value, we're not talking about talents of singing, right? I myself have preached and said, oh, it's funny that it uses the word talent when, what talents do you have to serve the Lord? What's he talking about if we were just taking this thing at face value? What is a talent? It's money. No, he's not talking about singing. He didn't say, I give you five songs to sing. And if you sing them well enough, I'll give you ten. Right? He's not saying, ah, you got the ability to read. I'll give you a book to read. But if you bury it, I ain't giving you no more books to read. I would bury every book he gave me. I'm just going to tell you right now. Right? No, he's talking about money. Face value. He's talking about money. Gold, silver, shekels, whatever you want to call them. Okay? And here's what he says. Here's what he says. Jesus said, well done when he comes back. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Man, I've taken that thing. And I said, oh, those talents of singing and book reading and acting and loving and caring and cooking and sleeping. And you just you just use all your talents for the Lord. He'll multiply your talents and then you get to go to heaven. Right. Isn't that what enter into the joy of the Lord sounds like? Not when I take it at face value. Not when I'm just reading it for what it is and I realize, hey, he's, talk, he's literally talking about money here. So then literally what he must be talking about when he says enter into the joy of the Lord is this. You've been faithful. I'm going to make you more fruitful. I'm going to make you more fruitful in this. That you're going to enter into the joy of the Lord. What is the joy of the Lord? Expanded service. Doesn't that totally change the way we look at it now? It's like, man, the, the joy of the Lord is to get to do more. Does that describe us in the church? Oh, man. Now, well, I try to get out of a lot of stuff. I try to do less. I try to figure out a way I can cut a corner, right? He's saying straight up, like, the joy of the Lord is to get to do more. The more reliable you are, the more valuable you become. The more faithful you are, the more fruitful you become. That's what he's saying all, all about this one thing. So the, the, the first thing, a friend that is reliable. Number two, it's a friend that's compatible. A friend that's compatible. Look at what he says in verse 20. This is all just taking what Paul says in a couple of verses about this guy he says, for I have no one like minded. If you're a note taker, whatever, underline that word like minded, start, highlight it, whatever. We'll come back to it in a second. Who will sincerely care or naturally care for your state? Paul's saying this. Well, first, let's look at the, the, the main thing, the, the obvious one, right? In friendships, you need a relationship with your compatible with people. You ain't going to be best friends with somebody you ain't compatible with. Right. 
Let's just call it what it is, right? And, and hear me, this isn't always like a bad thing. Just because you aren't compatible with somebody doesn't mean they're your enemy either. It just means your closest friends, your most mature friends, you're going to be compatible with, right? I mean, it, it would almost be like if you were to let your kids stay the night with, with somebody you're compatible with uh, home, and they were to come home, and the first thing they tell you isn't, Dad, I love you, or didn't, Dad, I miss you. It's, Dad, is so-and-so's Durango bigger than your F-150? You just pause for a minute. You got, what? Where did that come from? Well, we've been arguing because we all like big trucks now. I said, oh, you just now started liking them. Good, good, good. It took, I mean, it took uh, the guy's house you're staying at, the ability to lift it and get 45s for us now to get on, on board with something I've been loving forever, right? And he goes, you're compatible with people that you have like interests, like goals. And that's something funny as much as like cars and stuff like this. But we do the same thing with football teams. We do the same thing with books and movies. Why don't we do the same thing spiritually speaking, right? And what Paul is saying here is there's, there's personalities that are going to be better suited for your personality. And there's personalities that aren't going to be good to be suited with, right? And that's okay. But the people who are going to be your most mature, your closest friends, are those that you're going to grow together with, gravitate toward, and become like-minded with. You got you not only have compatible of interest, you got compatible goals, right? And, and that's what he's saying. And, and think on this. If you're thinking, man, but but I would really like to be compatible with some of these other people that are doing some extraordinary things for the Lord. Well, then that means you got to change your interest and your goals. You can change your personality. You understand that, right? Like, especially spiritually speaking. But if you want to be like-minded and connected with these people, you've got to get like-minded. So Paul uses this word. I told you to underline and highlight it. Like-minded. Only time it's used in the entire New Testament in the Greek. That's why I think it's important. Used one time in the Old Testament, right? So, so here, here's what it literally would come out to. It literally means equal-souled or like-souled or one-souled. All three would be, would be okay. The word is esopsokosis. I got it written out with those little fancy letters. Does y'all's wife, while she's sending it to the kids, let me just ask y'all something. You ever tell, you ever hear somebody, because some of y'all be doing it too, so I'll be telling on you right now, right? I pronounce something wrong and y'all are foolish enough to tell me, hey, you know, Blue Letter Bible, I told you about Blue Letter Bible, by the way, right? You'll tell me that it's got this little app that tells you how to pronounce stuff. Did you know that? It's amazing, isn't it, Cliff? Like if you look at a word, It'll write it. It'll put all kind of little things around. That tells you how to pronounce it. That, and no, you don't. I read it every week. Every week. I look at the little symbols, and I'm like, yeah, it looks like hieroglyphics. whoop de do. It ain't helped me pronounce nothing yet. Right? But my wife, she'll write it out. She'll be like, let me write this out for you. So she writes, the word is ISO psychosis is what it looks like, right? She writes out E-E-S-O-P, little weird thing, dash, S-O-O, dash, K-O-S, with some other little weird thing. That didn't help me none. I don't even know where I was going with that. It was just a personal one for me, all right? I had a personal mark in the sermon I wanted to share with you guys. Only time in the New Testament these guys are equal soul, light soul, one soul. Same word used in 1 Samuel 18. We remember the story with David and Jonathan, right? When you get to 1 Samuel 18, it talks about Jonathan and David. It says, Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. They were like-souled. They were equal-souled. C.S. Lewis says this. <clears throat> As he's writing about true friendship, he says, True friends don't spend time gazing into each other's eyes. Not in a weird sexual way, guys, all right? But they face the same direction toward common projects, common interests, common goals, and above all else, toward a common Lord. Stop finding somebody you can gaze in the eyes with. 
Right? Find somebody who's looking in the same direction you're looking. Who's going in the same direction you're going, right? Timothy and Paul had the same goal. Their goal was what? To serve God and then to serve others. As he writes about this thing, he goes, this guy's, this guy's on board with what I'm doing. This guy's on board out of the hundreds of Christians I know in the city of Rome. Paul's writing. By the way, it's Romans 16. I didn't know I had it in here. Romans 16 is where he lists 27 names of believers who are like-minded with him. Who, or not, I'm sorry, not like-sold with him. They're on the same page as him, right? They're, they got the, they're similar, right? But only one person he uses this word about like soul, and it's Timothy. He says, this guy, this guy understands, like, we're connected together. We want to perform the same thing. 1 Corinthians 16.10, he describes Timothy, he says, he's doing the work of the Lord also like I do. Twice in the last letter Paul ever wrote, which is 2 Timothy, he writes to Timothy and he says twice in there that you have lovingly, carefully followed my doctrine, the manner of my life, my purpose, my faith, my suffering, my love, and my perseverance. We are like-minded. He's found somebody who's like-minded. Find someone who pursues Jesus as much as you do and run into the future with a man. Right? You should do this. I know we're not talking about uh, the, the marriage relationship, but this should be one of the number one things we look for in our marriage relationship. Find somebody who, now Crystal and I, we, we are like-minded in, in the eternity things, but we are so different in every other area of life, and that's all right. But when we're talking about eternity things, you want to run into this, you want to be like sold, equal sold, one soul in your pursuit of Christ with those that you're closest with, which there is a warning. One, if you're not on somebody's list who you'd like to be on, you're like, man, that person sold out for the gospel. I wish I was one of their closest and they don't consider you that. Maybe this is an area you need to work on. And on the flip side, as you search for friends, you better make sure you find the friends that's got the same values you got because the wrong friends with different values will get you in a heap of trouble. Number three. So mature friends are reliable, they're compatible. Number three, mature friends are thoughtful. A good friend, thoughtful. Verse 20, I have no one like-minded who will care for your state. Then verse 21, for all seek their own, not the things of Christ Jesus. What? What a sad thing, right? We're, we're back to this servant thing. You would think after a couple of weeks we could get off of that. I don't know if you've noticed how many times in the last two or three weeks the word servant or be humble has come up. I'm like, yeah, finally something new. Nope. Paul goes back to it yet again. It must be kind of important for us to, to grab. Right. And he said this, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ. This is Philippians two, three. Right. And he said, this is let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility or lowness of mind, let each of us esteem others better than ourselves. What a wonderful passage. It sounds so good, doesn't it? Isn't it terribly hard to practice though? You ever notice the stuff that sound the best, <laughs> sometimes the most difficult to actually do? Why? Because we're selfish. We're selfish people by nature, right? So at the end of 20, when he says this, well, there was one who did it. Timothy, he, he's really going to care for your state. In other words, what he's saying is, is, guys, I know there's a lot around right now that have been kind of playing the church game and, 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 and not being real. But this guy, he's the real deal. There's nothing fake about him. There's nothing phony about him. He's not a hypocrite. He actually cares. He's not putting on a fake smile so that he can sell you something or get a bigger tip. He genuinely cares for you. Don't you think you can, you can tell if somebody really cares? Can you, can you, do you have that, I mean, just a small gift maybe of discernment right there that you can tell when, when somebody's kind of pulling your leg or somebody really cares about what's going on? Paul says, this guy, Timothy, man, he esteems other better than himself. He's not self-centered, right? He's not thinking about what's in it for him. He's thinking about what's in it for you guys. Maybe we should just jot a note down, like, does this describe me? 
Because in verse 20, he describes the other group and he says, I've got nobody like-minded who's really going to care about you guys. That's sad, right? Verse 20 says, all these guys around here, talking about the church people, right? i got nobody. And then verse 21, the whole different contrast, he goes, but the rest of these guys are seeking their own, not the things which are of Christ, but, but this guy, Timothy, he's got it. Uh, another translation puts it this way. Everybody else is selfish. The New Living Translation says it this way. Everybody's rendering care for others and only for themselves. Now, we're not actually sure who Paul's referring to here. Some people wanted to write and talk about he was talking about an unbelieving world. But everything I've read in this letter so far has been talking about the church world. So I think he's talking about Christians. He's talking about church people, right? As he wrote in chapter 1, he, he, he said that, that some in Rome, Christian people, are preaching through envy and strife and selfish ambition. They're making it worse for me because of what they're doing, right? Paul's been around people. You've been around people long enough. You learn some people can speak real good Christianese. You know, you know what I'm saying? They can speak real good Christianese, man, right? right? They, they, they can, well, God bless your soul, baby. Or they'll throw out the brother and sister word. Or, or they'll throw out the, the praise the Lord, the hallelujahs, the thank yous. And I'm just reading my Bible. They can say all the right stuff, but they've got their own agenda going. Right? And Paul knew this. Paul's talking about like, man, this, this is a problem in the church. He's not trying to hide it or, or ignore it. He's saying this is something that's really going on. But Timothy, Timothy really cares. There's this guy, Bernard, of somewhere. He's got four stages of Christian maturity. Stage number one, I'm just going to list them real quick, and then I want to tell you where I think we're stuck. We don't have time to go into all of them. But, but he says, stage number one is a love of yourself for yourself's sake. That makes sense, right? That's the most basic, basic thing there is, right? Well, it's all about me, right? I love myself. How do I look? How do I feel? What can make me feel good? Love of self for self's sake. Stage number one. Stage number two, a love of God. But for self's sake, you love God, but you love him so you can get something out of it. Right. Stage uh, three, love of God for God's sake. And then stage four, he says, is a love of self for God's sake. Yeah, you should really take time to check those four things out. Since we're not going to go into them. really good, really good. Right. So so stage one, a love of self for self's sake. Stage two, a love of God for self's sake. Three. A love of God for God's sake. Stage four, a love of self for God's sake. Now, without going into each of them, I just want to tell you where I think we're stuck. I think we're stuck on number two. We love God, but we love God for self's sake. Oh, God, I'll keep on going to church if you make me feel good. Oh, God, I'll do this if I get a reward out of it, right? God, I'll keep on giving if you give back and bless me with, right? God, I'm going to keep on doing this as long as this doesn't go away, right? It's a love for God for the sake of myself and not for him and his glory. And I think the churches are full of them, right? It's all about me. I like how these two verses got the same number right here. Because I think all of us are in two places. I think both verses are on the same screen too. You're either in Philippians 1.21 or Philippians 2.21. Maybe they're not. Philippians 1.21 says this. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You remember a couple weeks ago, right? For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Meaning no matter what Christ want, it's about him. It's not about me. It's all about him. And then 221, where we're at today, we just read, it says, they all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ. Do we notice the difference? So if you were to say we're, we're all in one of two categories, you've got to decide, am I on a 121 or I am in 221? Am I to die as gain for Christ? Or is it, I'm only seeking my own interest and not the things 
of Jesus. Which one is it? You can say, we're, you ever notice like when everybody turned? I love how this is 21. I know we put the numbers in there, but I think God can even use some of the stupid things we do, right, to, to, to add a little bit. You ever notice when somebody tw- turns 21, it's like either the biggest birthday ever or just the regular birthday? You, you know what I mean, right? Because 21 allows you to do what? Oh, man, some of you do know what happens, right? So you think about like you, you either turn 21 this way or you get crazy and, and, and wasted or whatever, or you turn 21 in a right and mature way, right? So you're either a 121 or a 221 kind of believer. Which one are you going to be? Which, which one are you, are you following, right? Number four, our last trait. A mature friend is loyal. Look at verse 22. Talking about Timothy again, he says, but you know his proven character that as a son with his father, talking about that spiritual relationship they have together, He served with me in the gospel. You know his proven character. Here's what, here's what Paul's getting at here with this guy. He's saying Timothy's not this new guy. He's not, he's not a novice. He's seasoned. He's mature in his walk. He's got some spiritual mileage under his belt. He's got proven character. The word proven character is one Greek word called dokami, right? Which sounds kind of funny, but, but here's what it literally means. In the Greek, it would be to prove something or to make something known valuable after it's gone through testing. It's a word that would only be used after something had went through the test. Right? So you think back then, they would they would test metals. And they, they would give it a pass, dokami, or not. Hey, this is proven, or hey, this is this is not proven. Or horses. You know, they'd break a horse and, and get it trained and it would go through the test. This is this is a proven horse. This is a not proven horse. I would venture to say as a horse lover, you could say that a proven horse is probably worth much more than an unproven horse in the market. Right? Because who wants to get on one that's going to throw them off and toss them wherever? Right? We want one we can ride and do stuff with that has been trained, it's been proven to be able to do. We do the same thing today. Do you think they just give you the keys to your new car and, well, I hope it runs good? No, those cars go through extensive tests. So much so they build the whole car, however much they are now, whichever one you're getting, and then they just run it into a wall with a bunch of dummies inside of it. To test out, no, not us as the dummies, but, you know, little fake dummies, to to test out the endurance of of its crash rating. They test out all the electrical stuff. They test out all this stuff. They test everything. You realize they even test toilets? I'm serious. Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. I was just checking out. Like, whoa, what are some things that are tested? And I thought the car thing was a good one. But when I saw toasters and toilets, I said, man, they test everything. Maybe the guy who tested the toaster then had to test the toilet. Right? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't get to read that far into it. But I'm like, if that's enough to be tested, shouldn't we be tested in our walk with the Lord? Shouldn't we be testing our friends to make sure that we follow through with, with all this stuff, right? It's the testing that proves the worth of something's value. You show me a believer that's never been tested, and I'm going to be honest with you. To me, they're not as valuable as somebody who's gone through some stuff. Right? Because a person who's gone through some stuff, they come out on the other end and been tested, they've proven their value. Right? They've proven that they're reliable. They've proven that they're loyal. They've they're proven that, that, that they have all these connections that they need to have. And what I love about this, when he says this right here, this is big for us today maybe. Paul didn't just add Timothy to his, his evangelistic team, that first missionary journey. First convert, you think how cool it would be to have him on your team, right? Man, you got to travel and we're going to tell everybody, like, you're number one 
right? You're the one who, who got in and shared. No, Paul goes away. I mean, yeah, Paul goes away for years, years. And then he comes back on the second missionary journey uh, to, to Derby. In Acts chapter 16, it says this. Timothy was well spoken of by the brethren. Now, you know who the brethren is, right? That's that church word, that Christianese. Right? So he's talking about church folks. He say, man, among the church folks, among the, the believers, we speak well of Timothy. He's been endorsed by us. Paul hears this and he goes, man, I want you to join my team. I want you to, to go with me to Macedonia. I want you to go with me to Corinth. I want you to go with me to Jerusalem. And when I bring a special offering to the church in Jerusalem, I want you to be there with me. He brought him. And, and my point is this, why I love it is this. There must be waiting before there's working. This hit me big because we get a bunch of people sometimes that get, get fired up when they first accept Christ or get saved or whatever fancy word you want to throw in fire. Like, man, I'm ready to start a ministry. And I feel like the jerk because I'm like, not yet. Some of you in this room, you're looking at you like, I remember when you told me that. Right. And I'm sorry. Some of you I know listening online because somebody even just had this conversation with this week. They'll tell me, straight, like, I, I remember when you told me I couldn't. I'm not saying you can. I'm saying you shouldn't. All right. I don't get the authority to tell you what you can and can't do. I'm just telling you, spiritually speaking, it just don't add up, right? Paul even took three years after being the most religious person to get everything right before he came back and started a ministry. Timothy right here, he goes years, a testing period, before he's been teamed up within a period, right? And here's why, he even says it, because rapid advancement in ministry causes too many people to become proud. You forget about Christ and it becomes all about you. You notice, oh, there's a way I can earn some money. I do it this way, right? That, that's what happens. We see it happen in the real world all the time. So it's not somebody being mean saying, hey, you need to wait before you work. It's somebody being spiritual saying you need to make sure you get everything right before you go out and do wrong. All right. Timothy uh, twice in Timothy, his last letter, first Timothy two and first Timothy two, uh, chapter three, verse six. He said, when you choose up leaders, make sure you choose leaders that are seasoned. And he even says, why not a novice, not a new guy, less being puffed up with pride. He falls into the same condemnation as who? The devil. That's a tough comparison, is it not? He's saying, like, I don't want you to pick the guy who's new and he'll get all puffed up on himself because then he'll be the same as the adversary himself. Right. We, we do this. You, I don't know if you guys have noticed where like somebody famous gets gets the gospel. Somebody, a rock star or actor or actress or whatever. They they, they finally admit they, their belief in Jesus Christ. Churches automatically start platforming them. We put them on commercials. We, we put them here. We put them there. Oh, look who goes. Right. We do all this stuff. No. Shouldn't we do that to, to get people's attention? No. Because you're getting their attention with the wrong thing. Right. You don't have to do that. And he, here's really why. Here's a good illustration. I, I stole from somebody else. Right. They got to get rooted first. They got to get grounded first. Otherwise, here's what the illustration says. Otherwise, they become a tree whose branches go out further than his roots go down. And the tree will topple over. Hmm. You know what happens when that happens? Well, not only does the tree die, but what does everybody around it start to think? Oh, there's another one who spoke Christianese, but wasn't the real deal. Right? The branches will go out further than its roots go down and the tree will topple. When that tree topples, guys, the world is going to look and say, oh, look, another fake one. Right? Because it didn't withstand the tests. These guys are so loyal. Here's what I really love when I think about Paul and, and Timothy and their ministry together. They're, he's so loyal. Their connection is so strong. Distance never set them apart. 
I don't know if you if you ever if you ever get some time, go back and look at these two guys and look how far apart they were for the majority of some of their ministry jobs. Now, there was times when they were together and, and built that bond and all that. I, I acknowledge that. And I understand that, that that's probably what allowed them to go through the other stuff. Right. But there's some other areas of their life where, where these guys are, are so apart for 800 miles apart at one point. Right. Yet they're still connected. Up. Distance didn't stop their ability to rely on one another. True friendship. Distance don't stop that reliability to rely on one another, to stay compatible, to stay thoughtful about, to stay loyal to. You want to find you a check out. A, you want you want your friendship to withstand a true test. Get some distance in it sometime. Now, some of us don't like that. Like, man, I, I don't like those periods of life where I got to go through and be away from certain people. Maybe it's, you know, just the busyness of life or kids or or whatever that's caused it. But when you can come back from that period of time and still be knit together as David and Jonathan equal sold as Paul and Timothy, man, that's proven a reliability and a loyalty and a compatibility and a thoughtfulness that nothing else can. Paul made sure Timothy was loyal, so loyal, so reliable. He talks about this guy 24 times, 24 times. Could you imagine Paul talking about you 24 times? Right. I don't know about you guys, but like I, I look at Paul's the next closest hero to Jesus, man. I mean, he's got it. I'm not comparing even saying that he is God. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying like as a man and one that we should be aiming to be like, man, he had it. He got it. He did it right. He had such discernment and understanding of the scriptures that, you know, it was just it was just intense. It was awesome. And he looks at Timothy and he goes, man, this is this is not only my son. This is not only my servant. This is my substitute. Like this is the guy I could send and know the job's going to get done the same way I'd want it done if I was doing it. What an honor to be called Paul's closest friend. Number one on the list, man. What an honorable title. You know, there's a guy in scripture talking about being honorable. You know, there's a guy in scripture that's called a friend of God. Anybody remember who that is? Let's see now who's spiritual. Where's that spiritual person? One of those spiritual answers earlier, right? Who? No, 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 no. Abraham. Abraham's name literally means friend of God. Think about this now. This is what this means when you go back and read it. Go back and check it out. It's good. It's good, right? He's called a friend of God. He's the only one with that title. You know, we talk so much about David. David was the only one called a heart after God, right? Abraham's the only one called a friend of God. Yeah, wow. Because here's what here's what really saying, right? What an honor, huh? Because he's saying, God says, hey, man, you know my buddy Abraham? You imagine God calling you buddy? You know, that's what he's saying. Yeah, you know my good friend, Abraham? That's my guy. That's, that's, that's my dog, right? Like that, that, that's my brother, man. That's, that's the one. That's how Jesus, or that's how God the Father is talking about Abraham. Right? And I think that's exciting, man. I think it's awesome, right? There's, there's a guy, he's a missionary in, in China, and he talks about when he was little, him and his dad would go on a walk every Sunday, no matter what. And he said on that walk, what he remembered most wasn't just the beautiful views and, and, and the lessons and stuff that was learned. He said, during that walk, my dad talked to me like a man. He said, that, that was our one time where, where I finally asked. I said, Dad, why you talk to me different on these walks? He goes, because on these walks, you're my friend. And he thought about, like, what an honor that my dad would treat me as his friend. So I got to thinking about that. And I was reading this guy's testimony this week and, and going through it. I'm like, you know, when Jesus Christ becomes our Savior, Scripture says that we, we become in a relationship with him as our father. So we're a child of God. That's pretty cool. That's intense. That's awesome. That's exciting, right? But do you realize when Jesus goes further into his walk with his disciples, He's hanging with them and he's talking with them. And he tells them, John chapter 15, verse 15. He says, guys, you're not only my servants, you're my friends. Right? 
Do I, not, I do not call you slaves anymore because a slave don't know what his master's doing. I have called you my friend because I've made known to you everything that I've heard from my father. Is that not a cool thing to be called a friend of God? That's great stuff, man. Right? Maybe you're here this morning like you're like, man, I, I don't know if I'm a friend of God. Well, fix it. Right? Like we thought, like you can change any of the stuff that we've been talking about, right? Which one of these areas needs some, some work? Which one of these traits do you not exhibit as a friend? Which one of these traits are you missing in some of your, what you thought was the closest friends, right? Remember, it's not about finding one. It's about being one. And I can't think of two better things. <coughs> Taking what Jesus said. Right. So he sums it up into the law. He says the greatest thing is to love God and then to love others. And Paul's saying, like, Timothy's like-minded with me. He loves the Lord and he loves others. Right? But, but what about that, that friendship kind of mentality? What, what's, what's a greater thing than to be a friend with God? That's what Jesus looks at. He looks at his closest people, by the way. You know, Jesus, Jesus had a section in, in some of the Gospels where he had like 70-something followers. I don't know if you remember that. Right? And, and he kind of lost some of them because he got a little crazy on his, on his preaching, Right? But, but, but then he says to his, to his final, I think he's talking to the final three right here, if not the final six, or the closest three. And he tells me, he goes, you, you guys, you're my friends. A friend of God. Be a friend of God, and then be a friend of other brothers and sisters. Like, what a, what a great way to be it, right? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for these verses, Lord. Even if we had to kind of stop short, Lord God, just to get the main thing about what you're trying to tell us with, with Timothy here. And God, I pray as we look at Timothy's example, Lord, like we said in the beginning, God, and not be, not just be traits and things that we, we've got on this list to go look for in other people, Lord God, but it'd be something that we want to do ourselves. We want to be ourselves. We want to become the one that would be written about and thought about and talked about like Paul's talking about Timothy. Lord God, open our eyes to see through that friendship relationship that we have, Lord God, with you. The honesty, Lord God, of some areas we need to work in. Help us, Lord God, to move, move toward that loyalty, that thoughtfulness, Lord God, that reliability, that oneness. First of all, with you, Lord God. And I pray that you're the thing that unites us with all of our closest friends the most, God. That that greater goal, that greater vision of one direction for the future, Lord God. God, move in a special way. Give us good discernment, Lord God, when we pick friends. And we pick those connections. In your great name we pray. Amen.